Hello and thanks for streaming this episode from ACF Church. Our hope is that this word would encourage you to walk closer with God and with your local church. We hope you consider partnering in the work God's doing here by joining a life group, serving, and giving. If you'd like to give financially to the mission of ACF Church, you can do so safely on our website at acfak.org or by texting the amount to 907-341-4213. Now prepare your hearts to hear God's word. Welcome to church. It's good. That's quite the testimony, Mason. Thank you for sharing your story. Appreciate hearing where you've come from. I don't know why he waited so long to change his name, though. I, I don't really get it, but any, <laughs> I love that song. Anyway, hey, happy Father's Day uh, to all of you. Uh, just glad to be with you today. Uh, my name is Brian. I'm one of the pastors here, and we are coming up onto the, the final stretch of our series called Blind Spots, and uh, we're really excited uh, about today as we talk about what it looks like to be a dad or a parent, and the book of Ephesians really um, lends itself really well to where we're at here today and talking about children and parents. And um, I don't know if you've thought about it much, but we're really sort of a product of our upbringing, aren't we? I mean, do you ever just have one of those moments in those realizations where you realize, like, I am just like my dad, or I am just like my mom? That might not be a good thing for some of you, right? But you're like, oh, I, 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 it's just crazy how much their personalities get into us and then come out of us. And as we grow up, we see ourselves doing things and saying things that those who are our parents are kind of instilled in us. And, and I realized this week as I was wrestling with this passage and, and preparing for this that um, we have a great responsibility as, as people to raise up another generation. And it's an opportunity, but it's also a great uh, weight to bear that we would raise up another generation. Uh, and, and what this passage is gonna call us to is not simply to teach them, but to teach them in the ways of God and to teach them in better ways. And so, um, you know, I think about it, and I, I have a lot of time with my really little kids, uh, but as they get into school, I still probably have, you know, 60 waking hours a week that I have with them to instill values um, into their lives. And so there's great opportunities there. If you're here today and you don't have kids, um, don't check out, because I really feel like this passage speaks to people who are mentors, people who want to be single uh, or are going to be single for the rest of their lives, maybe that's you, but you, um, you know, you're going to, you're going to be having people in your life that you're going to invest in, friends that are going to be watching you and are going to be following you. And, and I know this in my life that although my parents have taught me a lot, there have also been people in my life who have chosen to spend time with me and who have, who have been almost spiritual parents to me. And so some of you are that for other people, or maybe you today are going to sense a call that, that you need to be that for somebody. And I, and I hope that's you for sure. But you know, we've been shaped by our parents in a lot of different ways, and so here's what I want you to do. I want you, in three words or less, to the person next to you, I want you to, do, to describe your dad, and I want you to be nice, but describe your dad, three words or less, go for it, go. All right, all right. Awesome. So, so think about it. Like, that person, that person, whoever they are, they shaped your perspective on life. And for many of you, here's the thing that I realize is that um, the person that we called dad, whether they were a good father or maybe they were absent, whoever they were, uh, they shaped the way that we view not just our lives, but also in many ways the way we view God himself. 
the, the father figure, as a father, we have an opportunity to shape um, how our children's, uh, they, their, their viewpoint of who God is. And, and so I don't know if you can see a correlation, but sometimes some of the ways that you view your dad come out in the way that you view God himself. Some of the struggles that maybe you had with your father are some of the struggles that you have with God. And so again, there's a burden and, and a weight to bear as fathers to raise up our children. And so what we understand is that this is how it was supposed to be, that from the very beginning, God uh, instilled this in that if you read the Ten Commandments, that the fifth commandment is that, uh, that children should obey their parents. And there's sort of this, like, this way of things that God started from the very beginning, that his people um, should be raising their children up in the ways of God, and that children should be obeying their parents and following them in their footsteps. And when this was working well, when parents were walking uh, in, in lives that honor God, and then, and then children were following their parents and obeying their parents, there was blessing on the people of Israel. But when this wasn't working well, when children were rebelling from their parents' ways, when parents were not raising their children up in the ways of God, what God would do is just hand them over to their enemies. And we see that throughout scripture, that the better way is this, this beautiful relationship as parents follow God and children uh, are following their parents and learning in the ways of God. And, and I feel like as I was thinking about this, it's a really important correlation because I remember when I was, you know, as a kid, my parents would tell me to do something, tell me not to do something, and, and a lot of times I didn't understand why, right? Do you remember that? You just didn't really get, like, what was the meaning behind this? Um, you just understood mom and dad are just trying to take away my fun, right? For the most part, rules meant they don't want me to have fun. But as I, as I grew up, as I got older, I look back and I see how their parenting and influence has really protected me and really given me some good habits in life. You know, I just remember as a kid, like, I don't want to brush my teeth. I have no desire to stand in front of that stupid mirror and brush my teeth. I don't want to do it. So my parents always had to be really hard on me to get me to make this part of my life. Well, as an adult, I'm like, glad I brushed my teeth, right? Glad my teeth aren't falling out of my face as an adult. And that's, I can thank my parents for that. So the correlation is really uh, that as we look at God, this is really how it works for a lot of us. Like if you're a new Christian or a new believer, you're going to read the Bible and you're going to uh, maybe be discipled by somebody who's a mentor and they're going to say, hey, you know what, this stuff over here, uh, stay away from this. And uh, it's just not going to be good for you. It's not going to help you. And then this stuff over, over here, start doing these things. These are good things. These are, these are things going to help you uh, grow up as a person, help you love people better. And at first, you might not get why. And that's been the case for most of my life, like not understanding why until afterwards. But then over time, through obeying God, what you're going to understand is like, oh, now it makes sense, right? I get why God said do this. I get why I said don't do this. And it wasn't just about, you know, uh, taking away my fun. It wasn't just about giving me rules to follow. It was about how to live my best life as a Jesus follower. And so we're going to start off Ephesians chapter 6. If you have a Bible, I want you to open up. Uh, to Ephesians chapter, chapter 6, verse 1. Um, you can also download the ACF Church app on your um, smartphone if you want to do that and follow along with us there. But uh, this passage is going to really, um, I think, shine some light on this for us. But first, let's pray together, and then we'll get into this text. Jesus, thank you so much for today. Thank you, God, that we have come from so far to this place. God, all the things that we've gone through in our lives, God, have shaped us and molded us. And here we are today, God, and, and we're asking that you would shape us and that you would mold us. God, that we could, in, in many ways, that we could let go of the things that are not good for us and the, the habits and uh, maybe the things that we've been raised in that are unhealthy things and, and that we take on new habits and, God, new perspectives and new ways of seeing ourselves and of seeing you. God, so give, give us openness today. 
I pray you'd speak to me, you'd speak to all of us as we read your word, and you'd change us to be more like you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. What I like about that song that Mason sang, A Boy Named Sue, not, not only is it like one of my favorite Johnny Cash songs ever, um, but it really paints a picture of, of a guy who was shaped by his name. A guy who was named Sue, and for the rest of his life, he was shaped by that. And for you, it might have been something else. But for us, what we want to say today is that, parents, you have an opportunity to shape your children. Don't name them Sue, uh, but do something else. I think Scripture's going to line this out for us. Do some other things that, that will shape the next generation. And, and again, if, if you're a mentor or if you're single and you're not a parent, I want you to read these words uh, and just take them to heart just as much because I think these words apply to you as much as they do to anybody else. So he starts off with this in verse 1. He says, children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Okay, baseline. He's saying, if you're a child, you should obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Now, when I read that, I'm like, that's good. Um, But the first thing I start doing is coming up with excuses, right? Um, I start thinking, well, what if they're not teaching me the right thing? What if they're telling me to do the wrong thing? Which is why it continues on. Then it says, honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Okay, so this commandment has a promise that, hey, do you want your life to go well? Listen to your parents, right? Teenagers, listen to your parents. Want your life to go well? Want to live long? Uh, Listen to your parents. Now, I read that, and at first I realize, okay, so you can obey your parents and still live a short life. We know that, right? You can obey your parents and things can still go wrong. Uh, but he's really saying is that what we do know is if you listen to your parents, there is blessing in that. There will be blessing in it. So we see two words. We see obey and we see honor. Now, obey, is, it's, a, it's, a, it's a hard word for a lot of people. We, we don't like that word sometimes. Um, but, you know, if you're a parent, you like that verse. That's the verse that you pull out, you know, to tell your children, hey, you got to listen to me because Jesus said so. The Bible says so, so you got to listen to me. But also, I mean, deeper than that is honor, to honor our parents. And, and what's interesting about this passage is, is it never tells you, like, until you turn 18 and then this verse is not for you right? It doesn't give you like an expiration date for this passage. Like when you're 18, you don't need to worry about this anymore because you're out of mom and dad's house, you know, you don't need to listen to them. Now I understand maybe your parents were not bringing you up in the ways of God. Maybe in some ways they were uh, maybe leading you to things that weren't healthy. And if you're a a, a child or, you know, a teenager here, I want to encourage you like if it's not illegal or unbiblical, you just need to listen, right? And again, this is hard in my life because I have always had to learn the hard way. I have always felt like I understood more than I did. I always felt like, no, I can do the thing my way, and I know that I can succeed better than your way. And I've had to learn the hard way throughout my life. And so what he's trying to do here is to, to, to save you from yourself a little bit. Like, just listen to your parents. Maybe they're not just out to get you. Like, what if they're actually trying to help you? So then you become an adult, and maybe you've experienced this, where now your adult parent is leaning into your life and giving you advice, and you're like, that's terrible advice. Or, no, mom and dad, that's not the best thing for me. So the question is, as an adult, what does it mean to honor your parents? And this word honor simply means to, like, hold at high esteem. Now, to hold your parents at high esteem or to honor them doesn't always mean doing what they want you to do. And uh, probably get some amens in the room from that. But it doesn't mean necessarily doing everything they want you to do. But it does mean that in word and in deed, you hold them at a high esteem. 
And it's hard when you get older, and in some ways maybe some of you feel like you are having to parent your parents when you're older, and that's difficult. So what does it mean to honor them? Because again, at no point does it say, once you're out of the house, don't worry about this, move on in scripture. Till the day that you die, you have a charge made by uh, God's word to honor your parents. Till the day they die, to honor your parents. And so that's gonna look different for a lot lot of you. But I want you to think about that. What does it look like to honor my parents? And then as a child, you know, like what does it look like to honor you guys? So let's continue on in this. It says this uh, in verse four. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Don't provoke your children. Now, um, we know how to push our kids' buttons, don't we? Like, and sometimes if you're just totally honest, you do it just to seek out a little bit of retribution for all that they put you through, right? You've got that kid that drives you crazy, and once in a while, just to feel a little better, you like to drive them a little crazy. But he's saying, don't provoke your kids. Don't draw out the worst in your children. Draw out the best in your children by bringing them up in discipline and instruction. Now, I want to talk about these two words real quick, discipline and instruction, because these are both really important words. I mean, he chose to use both these words for a reason. First, discipline is an important thing. Now, now you probably know that dad, or maybe you are that dad or mom, that are really good at discipline. You're really good at like, you know, leaning in and telling the child not to do this and to do that. Or maybe you had the dad where like you'd walk away from a conversation, you were disciplined, you know, your backside was burning, but you don't know why you got in trouble right? You don't understand it. Um, you're not under, you don't really know how to avoid it next time. And so along with this, I think about how I'm trying to raise my kids. And, and I know that like sometimes they get in trouble and I'm like, hey, go to your room and sit down. And, and so I discipline them. But, the, but what we've been trying to do as parents is sit down with them after that and say like, hey, what did you do wrong? What's the problem here? So that they understand there's discipline and also instruction. So you can, as a parent, you can fall on either side of this. You can be the person that's like really good at discipline. Yeah, like my kids, they toe the line, right? They do exactly what I tell them to. Do they know why? I don't know. Like, do you know, do they know why you're telling them to do these things and not to do these things? I don't know. But they listen to me. Well, that's a good start, right? That's a good start. Because then on the other side, there's instruction. Telling people like, these are the ways of God. These are the ways that you can live a healthy life. And that's important, but you also know the parent that leaned too hard on that side, that's like, oh, Billy, stop doing, oh, there he goes. Oh, no, don't do that, oh, there he goes. You know, like, oh, no, this is how you, no. There's gotta be more than just instruction. There also has to be, at some point, discipline to help your children understand what's right. Now, we need that, don't we? Like, we all need that. And we know that we need it, but it's hard to receive it. We need both discipline and instruction. We need to know what's right. And we also, at times, uh, from people in our lives who are mentoring us or from God himself, we need discipline to teach us. Because if you're as hard-headed as I am sometimes, it takes a drastic thing to happen in my life for me to wake up and to notice that things need to shift. Things need to change. Here's the thing I I wanna start off with. And I really feel like this is the challenge in all of this, is I believe that um, too many people are passing on, passing things on. Too many people are passing on, passing things on. Too many people have so much 
And there's so much talent and ability and experience and wisdom. And, and they're just, they're holding on to it. Like, like, just think at Thanksgiving dinner. You know that person that doesn't get the way of things at Thanksgiving dinner? Like, all the plates are moving their way around the table like they're supposed to. And, you know, you got the, you got the, the turkey and, uh, you know, the stuffing and, and all, the, all the fixings. And then they always end up at this, like, log jam at Uncle Eddie's plate, right? And he doesn't understand that, like, when something comes to you and you dish it out on your plate, what are you supposed to do? Pass it on, right? And so he's got like all the food. He's just, this is just delicious. I love Thanksgiving. It's so good. And I feel like that describes our culture in a lot of different ways. Like we've got so much to offer. We've got so many abilities, so many talents, so much experience. And somebody out there, they need what you've got. Now, your kids for sure. Your kids need what you've got. But there's probably other people in your life that you could be mentoring or as the Bible calls it, discipling to learn these ways and learn these things. And so here's what I'm going to do. I want to kind of do a little bit of a, uh, just to, to honor my dad and do a little bit of a tribute to my dad uh, with the things that he has taught me and just share those things with you. And then I also, because I know that like most dads in the room, the place that we learn the most is off of uh, YouTube. We're going to do uh, like parenting from my dad via YouTube. Okay. So uh, hopefully this will keep your attention, but go ahead and watch this first clip. Okay, talk. Is this normal? I'm not cold. I'm shaking. Why are you shaking? Look. Are you sure you're not cold? I'm not cold. Oh my gosh. It's so normal. So, tell him what happened. And there's a bighorn sheep up on the hill. Right up there, but we can't shoot it. Nobody what? Nobody cares about the bighorn sheep. Okay. Go sit down next to your buck. It's just twitching, honey. You're okay. No, it's not. It's trust me. Huh? No, it didn't. Good job, Savannah. What do you say, baby? First buck. Excellent. Okay, say bye. Bye. I love that clip. Um, my dad and I, we spent a lot of time in the woods growing up, and uh, learned, you learn a lot in the woods. By the way, uh, no animals were actually harmed in the making of that video, so um, if you're one of those people, um, yeah. So <laughs> and it's all good. We love you. Um, it's just fine. Um, Okay, I'm going to stop. Um, my dad and I spent a lot of time in the woods. We, uh, we learned a lot. And, and one of the major things that my dad taught me in the woods was simply that I should live passionately. And what you see in that video is, is passion, right? Excitement. And, and, and that, like she's just stoked to have gotten her first deer. And uh, I think one of the things my dad taught me really early on, I remember this, is he said, Brian, you know, if you ever lose the passion for hunting that you have right now, 
just stop hunting. Like, just quit. Go, go do something else. You can go to, the, go to the store and you can buy beef. I mean, it's not about getting, getting meat. It's about actually the experience of harvesting game. It's about the camaraderie, as any of you hunters know, uh, of being in the woods with people that you love and enjoying uh, the experience and the nature that we have. And so it's about so much more. And so he's like, he just told me at a really young age, Brian, you need to be passionate about this. If you're not passionate, just don't, don't do it. Now, the word passion comes from this Latin word that literally means to suffer. Passion means suffering, which is different than maybe you might think about it because you're like, well, my dad wasn't really a passionate man, you know. I, I, in fact, maybe you can't even remember a time that your dad was excited about ever, anything. But, but the thing is, excitement and passion are two different things. We don't want to live lives in pursuit of excitement because that's just not real life. And, and you guys have all met that guy that drinks way too much Red Bull, right? And he's just going from like, you know, adrenaline high to adrenaline high to adrenaline high looking for the next big thing. And you know, when it's a Friday night and there's nothing going on, he just looks like his life's over, right? Because he's pursuing excitement. But instead, we were built to be passionate. And, and again, passion means to give of yourself. And I wonder, as you think about your dad, or if you are a dad, is there something that you are giving yourself for? Like something of great value. Now, you know, if you're a hunter, you know it costs a lot of money to, to do it sometimes. It, it takes a lot of time. It takes a lot of effort. You end up sore and tired, and, and you really put yourself out there in a lot of different ways. And that's why it, it's a passion for many people. But what are you passionate? Are you passionate about anything that's going to last? Because we can be passionate about all kinds of things that don't last, things that one day will turn to dust. But you can also be passionate about people and passionate about God, which is really what Jesus calls us to. He simply says, be passionate for people, passionate for God. And that doesn't simply mean to be excited about them or you know, um, just to, to look forward to spending time with, with God or with, with people. It simply means to be able to sacrifice yourself, to give of yourself for others and to give of yourself for God. And so what we're going to read here is that Jesus does this perfectly for us. So I want you to open up to Hebrews chapter 12. Uh, just flip over to Hebrews chapter 12, and we're going to read a little bit about how Jesus, uh, as, our, as our perfect father, gives us a beautiful example of all the things that our earthly fathers are trying, hopefully, to instill in us. And that, that first thing is passion. So I want to start with this. Verse 1 says, therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witness, witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. So Jesus understood this. I think Jesus was the most passionate man that ever lived. Because he did everything with purpose. I mean, there wasn't one thing, I don't think one breath that Jesus took that wasn't taken on purpose. He knew where he was going, he knew why he was doing it, and he was all about the will of his Father. And so he was willing, what we understand about Jesus, to do anything and everything to follow his Father's will, to obey his Father. And so he lived a passionate lifestyle. I think Jesus had a lot of fun. I bet there were some exciting moments walking on water. Probably kind of exciting, right? But he also spent like days and days walking around with these guys that were following him who most of the time didn't get anything that he was saying. Like really didn't understand him, didn't understand who he was, you know, like always had, you know, stupid questions to ask. And he was, you know, you just sense in Jesus sometimes frustration with the life that he lived. But he lived 
passionately, intentionally willing to sacrifice of himself for the people around him. There's these two terms that I want to talk about. It says that Jesus is the founder and the perfecter of our faith. The founder and the perfecter. Other words that you could use could be, you know, maybe that he's the creator and the sustainer of our faith. He he is the one we put our faith in. Without Jesus, there's no faith at all. Jesus is the one that we center all that we believe around. And not only do we believe in Jesus, but Jesus sustains the faith that we have. He actually gives us what we need so that we can continue on and follow him well. And so Jesus is the core of everything we believe. He's the the creator, the sustainer of our faith. And it says that he endured the cross for the joy that was set before him. Think about that. I don't don't think Jesus was excited about it. I don't think he was doing cartwheels on his way to the cross like, woohoo, crucifixion. I mean, Jesus was, I'm sure there was some fear. I'm sure Jesus was thinking, you know, I don't really want to do this. In fact, he says to God, like, if there be any other way, God, can you come up with any other idea? You know, anything but crucifixion. But there was a joy in him because he knew what he was going to accomplish on the cross. For the joy set before him, despising the shame. Now, one thing we understand the cross does is that the cross, through Jesus' death, his burial and his resurrection, that he conquered sin, but he also conquered our shame. And so I love this passage because it's almost like Jesus, when he's on the cross, he, he's experiencing our shame. You know, the, the Bible says that he took his sin, our sin, upon him. And, and as a perfect, a perfect person, he actually owned up on all of our sin, just paid the price, the payment for all of what we do, and he actually felt the shame. Like the shame that you and I feel when we blow it, the shame when we know, like, okay, somebody tried to show me the right way. Maybe it was your dad. Um, maybe it was somebody else in your life that tried to help you. And then you did your own thing, and then it didn't work out so well. And now you're in a mess. You know that shame? You know that feeling? It says that Jesus took that shame upon himself so that you don't have to own that, so that you don't have to live in that kind of shame. He took it upon himself. For the joy set before him. That's a passionate man, isn't it? I mean, that's a, that's a man with a vision That's a man willing to do anything for those he loves. So here's our call, this this first one here, is is I feel like we're supposed to live lives that are always passionate. When you do this, moms, dads, mentors, listen, when you do this, you show people a God who's willing to go to whatever length possible, even suffering and sacrificing himself so that he could save his children. And so that's the vision that you share when you live a passionate life life. Watch this next clip. I am Philip Paul Widener. I'm the owner and builder of Goose Creek Tower. I went to MIT and I'm kind of a frustrated architect, so I like building. I just designed it out of my head. We didn't have blueprints. We drew it out on cardboard, plywood, just as we were going. What I'm going to end up doing eventually is put some hooks there and hang pots and pans off them because this is the kitchen. I started to build a 40 by 40 scribe log cabin and I realized I could put pillars on top and put another house on top of house. And I just kept going. We got to 185 feet and we stopped because um, 200 feet is federal airspace. Now I just have to finish it out. This is pretty much the last real stairs. There are multiple levels in there and I've tried to count them and it's just impossible. It depends how you count stories. I wanted to be able to see. And that's the reason I went up. You can actually see for um, at least 300 miles. And of course, um, when the northern lights are out, you can really see. 
I hope that Goose Creek Tower will inspire other people uh, to do worthwhile things, not just in building, but whatever they do with their life. And every time I go up there, it's a different experience. Kind of gives you a sense of the uh, enormity of the universe. The Goose Creek Tower. Anybody been out there? A few of you guys, yeah, a few of you in each service have been out there. This is out in Talkeetna, so Alaska, right? It's like, uh, you know, what do you want to see in Alaska? You know, see Denali and go down to the Kenai and see the fish running and, you know, the Goose Creek Lodge. It's 185 feet tall. And I was thinking about this guy and he had a real vision, didn't he? I mean, to, I'm just thinking like what popped into his head? He just woke up one morning and was like, I'm going to build a tower. That, this, is, this is what I'm here for. And he devoted his life to building this tower. Now people go out there and they see it. And I'm just thinking about this guy. As, I'd, like to, I'd love to talk to him at one point and just find out, like, how did it feel to put the, the first board up? Can you imagine? You've got this vision in your head, 185 feet. And, and you've got maybe the footers laid, the foundation laid, and you're just going to put that first board up. And I was thinking about for a lot of us, we live in this sort of place where there's a lot of things we need to start doing. There's a lot, of, um, a lot of things that I feel like God has maybe laid on your heart or maybe it's simply to take a step into following Jesus and for you it's such a daunting task that you're resisting even walking into it because you're thinking, it's gonna be a lot of work. I mean, he devoted his life to building this tower. I mean, I, I don't know how, how many hours you know, how many busted knuckles and, you know, how many, how many uh, sore mornings did he spend to accomplish what he's accomplished? And he's still going. You just, he, I'm like, he's going to keep going into federal airspace. Like, airplanes are going to be flying around this thing in a few years because he has a vision. So the, the next thing that I, I, I feel like we want to learn is just to always persevere. We always want to be people who are willing to do the hard things so that we can ac- accomplish the best things. But this is difficult because some of you are up against some hard things. Some, some difficult challenges in your life and, and maybe you're resistant to take a step because it just looks like it's unattainable. So maybe your dad wasn't a hunter but maybe he was a builder. Maybe he loved working with his hands and he had this ability to have a vision in his mind and then to, to build it and, and to create this thing from nothing. And a lot of times, this is what it feels like to begin to walk and step with Jesus is we know we have sort of this vision that's laid out and we read the life of Jesus and we know like that's, Man, that's the way to go. And we see maybe people in our lives, mentors, and those who, who we're following, and they're living a certain way, and they have certain types of relationships, and we think, that's, that's what I want. That's what I need. That's, that's what I want to accomplish. And so the vision is there, but are, are you willing to be perseverant, to, to walk into all of the hard work and the labor that it takes to achieve the best things in life? Uh, this philosopher, I was, I was reading this quote earlier this week, but he said that, that nothing of value in this world has ever happened apart from, from perseverance. Somebody who's willing to, to put it out, to, to work hard, and to put up with all of the, all of the hard nights of labor and the, and the days where you just don't want to do it to accomplish things. So I, I think that Jesus shows us this as well. Let's continue on in Hebrews chapter 12. It says this, Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself, so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. So again, Jesus does this perfect job of showing us what it looks like to live a life of perseverance, pushing through the hard stuff. Can you imagine, once he gets on the cross, now he's there. 
And I'm sure at any moment we know like Jesus could have called down all the angels to take him off of this cross to kill everybody around. But at, at no point did he do that. Like he pushed through it. He dealt with the pain and he persevered just like we need to persevere. <laughs> I love this part that he puts in there. He says, in your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. He's kind of like, um, you know, you're complaining, you're griping to God. Why is it so difficult? And he's like, are you bleeding? Which is kind of the thing in our house. Like when my little boy comes downstairs and he's screaming and he's like, ah, I hit my hand on the door. And I'm like, are you bleeding? Then, then move on, right? If you're not bleeding, you know, no, no blood, no foul is, is the rule, right? No blood, no foul. Just keep playing with your sisters, keep doing your thing. Are you bleeding? He's literally saying that like, okay, I know that maybe you're griping. I know that when it comes to being obedient to God, that there's something in front of you that you don't want to do and, and that, it, that it hurts or there's something that you're walking through right now and, and you don't want to do it and you're fighting with God. And he's saying like, hey, listen, Hebrew people, um, you have been persecuted. You've lost a lot of stuff. Uh, people have probably taken your things away. You've probably lost relationships. These people were being persecuted for their faith. But he's like, ah, but you're not dead yet. So uh, keep going. Keep on pushing through. Because what we know is that Jesus, he persevered to the point of death for us. Amen? Amen, that's Jesus. And so that's what we are supposed to do is to persevere, to push through, even when it's difficult, even when it's hard. This is what's difficult to know, though, sometimes, is, is when is it time to endure and just be patient? And when is it time to engage? Because there's probably something in your life that you're enduring that you should be engaging, and there's something that you're engaging that you should be enduring. And so let me just kind of make an example. Like, there's probably something in your life that, that is unhealthy for you that you're participating in, and you're, you're sitting around going like, hey, I sure hope God takes this away from me. Every day I pray that God will take this away from me, you know? I don't know what it is, if it's like some kind of addiction or whatever. You know, you're, you're addicted to pornography or something like that, and you're like, I just pray God would take this away from me. But you just, you got your phone in your pocket every day, you know? You got the computer out in the middle of, you know, the house and you can get online whenever you want to, you know? Like, like you, you put yourself in situations where you're gonna stumble and struggle with this. And so you gotta decide, like, do I just, am I supposed to be patient with my sin? Or do I engage it? And do I run in and do I say, no, something needs to change so that we can conquer this? Don't just be patient with it, but also engage it. Jesus did this beautifully. Is he patient with us? Yes. Yes, he's patient with us. He's so patient with us. But I, I am so thankful that he didn't sit up in heaven and go, man, just waiting on them to fix this mess. Just waiting on those people to get their lives together. We serve a God who didn't just endure, he also engaged. He said, I'm gonna, I'm gonna go become a man. I'm gonna go live the life that they can't live so that I can absorb their sin and right the broken relationship that is, is between us and humanity. That's a loving God, right? And so, so church family, listen, uh, fathers especially on Father's Day, when you are willing to, to, to just push on through, to endure, and, and to, to deal with the, some of the suffering that it takes to accomplish the goal, what you're doing is showing people a God who would go through anything to save his kids. Let's watch this next clip. Daddy will break his legs. No. Yes, I will. Dad, I... And guess what will happen after that? See your boyfriend's daddy. Daddy will take him hostage and keep him in a cupboard. Dad, listen, I want a boyfriend. I want a boyfriend. 
You're not getting a boyfriend, you're going to be a nun. You're going to be a nun. You're going to work for Jesus. No, I'm not. I'm going to get a boyfriend. They're who you're going to work for. They're who you're going to work for. End of story. That's a good dad right there, right? Every dad with a daughter in the room is like, yep, I get that. That's right. I'm going to work for Jesus, girl. Um, so the last thing that um, I know that my, my dad taught me and that I believe that, that God teaches us through the life of Christ is that we should always protect. As much as we can, that we should protect. Now, what does protection really look like in, uh, in our lives? And because it's difficult to know sometimes, right? Like, my dad knew that uh, if he just heard me screaming in the basement and my brother has got me in a headlock, that he shouldn't necessarily run in and discipline my brother because I probably started it. Like, I probably did something to him. And so protection isn't always uh, to, to, to just keep somebody from um, any kind of difficulty, any kind of harm, but sometimes it's to protect them from themselves, right? Like, when we love people, it's being willing to lean into a situation in our children's lives to go, listen, son, listen, daughter, um, I love you so much that I want the best for you. And I want to encourage you to choose this over that. Or I'm even willing to discipline you so that you might do the right thing. Let's, let's read it through the rest of this passage here. In verse 5 it says, And have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. So this is hard to tell because God, again, he, he loves us so much and we know that God is our refuge. Like if you're here today, um, you just need to know that God is in your corner. And, and if you're diff- dealing with difficult things and struggling through something, you need to know like he is a safe place to go. And, and I don't know if your dad was that for you, but I want you to know your heavenly father is that for you. He's a safe place. And I think we all need to hear this once in a while, that I'm in your corner, like I'm for you. And some of you have never really heard that sincerely from anybody. That I'm in your corner, like I am behind you. All the way to the very end, I am with you. And you need to know that from God, that he is for you. He has your best interest at heart. He wants you to have the most full and life-giving experience on this earth possible. And so there's gonna be boundaries. And there's going to be, at times, discipline. God will discipline you. And it says right here, when you get disciplined by God, it's only because he loves you. Maybe you were disciplined by somebody at one point, and it didn't come from love. It didn't feel like love at all. It hurt. And it was from anger and frustration. But this is not your heavenly father. Your your heavenly father disciplines you only because of his love. And so everything that you go through, every difficulty that you're walking through, you need to understand that whether it was God doing that or whatever, we're not going to need to argue about that, but, but that you're going through it. And I do know that this, that, that God's plan is for you to come closer to him through it. And so somebody at a really young age, they taught me, you should always ask this question, Brian. Whatever you're dealing with, just ask this question, God, what are you trying to teach me? That's a loaded question. Because if you ask God, what are you trying to teach me? You need to be ready for the answer. Ready to respond. In this passage in Hebrews 12, here's the vision. But Before this Hebrews chapter 11, read it, read it later on today. Because it's a beautiful story about all of those in our faith who have gone before us. The men and the women who have held fast to their faith despite difficulty. 
They've been passionate. They've been protectors of each other. They persevered through difficult times. And it says that these men and women were faithful because faith in the Bible is always tied to obedience. Again, we circle it back around that children should obey their parents just as we, as believers in Jesus, Jesus should obey God. And our obedience is a sign of our faith. It's us literally saying, all right, God, I don't get it. I don't understand why. Maybe I'm kicking and I'm screaming, but I'm gonna do what you tell me to do. And I'm gonna trust that you have my best interest at heart. So listen today, moms, dads, mentors, our highest calling is to translate God's love by the way that we parent. When you show people perseverance, when you push on through, when you're willing to, to sacrifice for them with passion, you'll do whatever you can for this person to make sure they know that you're in their corner. And when you're a protector, you are showing them a God that would go to the farthest of lengths for them. You're giving them a vision. So I want to ask you today, what are you telling people about God by the way that you live? What kind of vision are you casting to the next generation? Because when they see these things, they see the face of God. Let's pray together. God, I just know that uh, there's a lot of stories in this room. People have come from broken homes. God, I know there's people here who didn't have a dad. God, I know there's people here who are resisting you. Maybe want nothing to do with you. God, maybe are blaming you. God, God, could today be the day for all of us that in a new way, we see, God, that everything that you do is motivated by love. So God, could you just allow us to receive that? And God, as we receive that, I pray that we'd be able to give that to others. God, I know that I can't do these things without you. I can't give what I haven't received. So God, could you pour your love on me that I might pour it out on others? God, could I see how passionate you are about me so that I could be passionate to others? God, could, could you show me that, God, you're persevering. You are a refuge for me, God. That you're a safe place for me so that I could be that for other people, God. And you protect me. God, I don't even know the things that you've protected me from throughout this life. God, so that I might be a protector of others. And God, I pray for the person in this room that needs to forgive their dad, that needs to just let it go, God, that today there could be forgiveness in their heart and peace. God, we're all going to screw this up in one way or another. We know that. So God, may your grace be sufficient to cover all of our mistakes, that through all of our parenting and mentoring and teaching, the love of Christ would shine through. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Love you guys. Thanks.